gentlemen and ladies, girls and boys, welcome to episode 10 of the Harmonics Podcast. On this week's episode, Splatter Area, we say hi to the newest member of the Harmonics community team and an in-depth game developer interview with Dan Teasdale from the Harmonics Design Department. He drops all sorts of interesting new hints. We've also got a brand new DLC roundtable for you and occasional stuff. Hey, so in fun rock band related community news, we have a new member on the community team. Hello, I'm Kyle Mercury. I'm the new event specialist for the community team. Yay. Yay! Yay! So Kyle, have you worked with us good folks on the community team before? Oh, I have a long and vaulted history of working with you you folks out in the road doing event production and all the fun stuff like E3 and Total October Awards and other fun stuff like that. Yeah. So if you've been to a rock band related event or you visited our Pepsi stage at E3, you've probably already met Kyle. Or if you follow the rockband.com zine, you've read one of his articles. I've got a question. <laughs> Kyle, you have a sleeve tattoo. Does it is it a robot? It is a robot. When I was a kid, the only thing I ever wanted was robot arms. Yeah. So then I decided when I was old enough to get tattooed that I would tattoo my arms like robot arms. That's awesome. That's like, a great idea. like Steve Austin. But not Stone Cold Steve Austin. No, million dollar man. Million dollar man. Oh no. I think it'd be funny quick. if you tattooed your hand to be a bottle of WD forty and you could be like tweak squeak on your on your arm. I've always debated tattooing the tops of my hand, but then I figured I'd never get a job. Yeah. We'd hire you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we still would have hired yeah. you. There we go. I already have it, so maybe I'll start. That'd yeah. be awesome. So yeah, keep an eye out for Kyle on the road with us or hanging out on the forums. What's your HMX handle going to be? Drop slash. Drop slash. Yeah, and follow him on Twitter. Also Alright, I am sitting with Dan Teasdale. Uh, your role here is currently lead designer. I am. It's a little weird. I'm a senior designer at Harmonics, and we've got a bunch of senior designers here. And I am. Uh, I was lead on Rock Band Two. And on so on Rock Band One, you were a senior designer. Yeah, I was okay. a senior designer with me, and uh, Rob K was lead designer on that. We were a sort of a two-man uh, design team on that. So, how did you get to Harmonics? What was your path that led you here? I had a kind of weird path, actually. I was, uh, before Harmonix, I was actually working at uh, Pandemic Australia. Like, we made games like uh, Destroy All Humans and uh, the US office made Mercenaries and things like that. Uh, and I kind of wanted to change the pace after that. Like, after working on a sort of game where you anal probe humans for two, three years, I kind of wanted a bit of a change of pace. And I wanted to come over to the US as well because uh, I'm a huge game nerd and didn't really want to deal with censorship and delays and all of that kind of stuff. So... Uh, I started job hunting around here, and the uh, girl I was dating at the time was actually moving to Boston. She was uh, working at um, at what was then Irrational, I guess what is now Irrational as well, yeah. on, on Bioshock. And I kind of followed her over and was like looking around for jobs and saw uh, Harmonix was looking for jobs. This was like uh, just before Guitar Hero 1 came out. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and uh, I remember actually going in for my, my interview. It was like the, the week GH1 was coming out, and I was like chatting with all of like all the people here like uh, Greg and Josh and like all of these like sort of super cool harmonics people and they're like yeah we don't know how you know this guitar hero thing is going to go and you know we might do another KR title or not you know it's kind of we don't we know where we're going to go next or not and then of course GH came out and pretty much destroyed the entire world um and 
and then another role opened up, which was the role on Rock Band, which was uh, they they kind of wanted to instead of just doing like the usual kind of sequel mining kind of stuff, where it's like actually just take it up a full notch and do what to them was the obvious thing, and like it makes sense now is like make a full band game. And so uh, I came on on pre production for Rock Band One, and uh, been here ever since. So I think judging from the response on our forums, we kind of did a call for questions. Mm-hmm. A lot of people seem to be a bit confused as to what a game designer harmonics does versus maybe what the audio team does. Do you want to clarify that? Explain what, what is a game designer? The, probably the best way to clarify it is if you think about it in sort of standard game design terms, uh, the audio team is kind of like the level designers and then the design team is like the system designers. So my my job and the job of everyone on the on the design team for for all of the titles at Harmonics is to essentially to make the game fun, uh, to make it understandable, make it completely coherent, make sure there aren't any loose ends, and like to make a, a design structure and system design structure for everything that's going on. And then the audio team uh, goes through and does all the the note charting and uh, like venue authoring and and sort of the, basically all of all of the stuff you see on the track coming down and going on. Uh, in terms of cues in the venue, uh, that's all the audio team. Cool. So it's 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 kind of a fun sp- split. I'm like I'm I'm a huge system design nerd like from birth. So being able <laughs> to sort of do do system design on a music game is, is kind of really cool. It is, and I think that's sort of the side of design that <clears throat> people people that want to get into game design maybe sometimes don't think about. They think about the level design aspect, mm. but not realize. You need all these systems in place. You need scoring mechanics and all that sort of stuff. And it's really cool. Like like before, like before I came here, like I was working on like system design, but it was more on the sense of trying to make a full world. So it was like uh, people spawning in or bringing police to attack you and stuff. So it's, it's actually it's really nice to be able to do that to try and get people to have the illusion that they're playing music and also to make games without like gunshot noises is like super awesome. Yes, definitely. Which brings us to Rock Band One. Um, was there one main design principle? I mean, we had a couple of principles. The main thing we had was like our overriding vision was that we needed to make an, an authentic band experience. So everything uh, everything that we wanted to do is to try and distill down all that 70s arena rock vibe and all of the coolness about playing an instrument and, and make it accessible to everyone. So we went through and uh, I actually gave a speech about this last year. We went through and uh, did a whole bunch of video research and we were looking at... Uh, this one, this one sort of clip of the Who playing uh, "Won't Get Fooled Again." It's like this awesome moment where there's like a, you know a dive off a stack of amps and like it's sort of sliding across the ground. There's a windmill in there. He splits his pants in the middle and no one notices it. <laughs> it's like this this amazing like really cool rock moment. And we wanted people to feel like that. Like to when as the years going off that they feel amazing and everyone's like diving in. Um, and that was kind of like the genesis of this whole authentic vibe for rock band. We just wanted people to feel like they're awesome without any sort of weird, you know, gimmicks. While you were in development with the game, did you have an idea that Rock Band would be as successful and as big as it became? Yes and no. Like I there was there was definitely something special there. Like you could we could tell like six months in there was something just really viscerally fun as playing as a band. But uh I know like I felt for a long time as like, well it's gonna be really tough to top Guitar Hero One. Like it's it's this huge explosion, and you know maybe that was the peak. Who knows? Uh, the point where it clicked for me was uh, PAX uh, 2007. It would have been. It was we we, we went with a pretty stripped down team. It was like 
me, Matt Kelly, uh, Sean Baptiste, uh, and we roped in a, a bunch of ex harmonics people to help us out. Uh, and we had this like this really sort of rickety booth. It was like three black screens, and we printed out some logos, like the Rock Band Circle logos, and stuck <laughs> them up on the side. And then everything just exploded. Like we had like three hour lines, and like everyone wanted to line up on the stage. They'd go through for three hours, play on stage for like the first time, and then just wrap around and come back to the end of the line. And like we had, we had all pre-production hardware, and so you know things were going wrong, and people were like super patient, and it was like it was like this holy crap moment. It's like this is this is this is going to be huge, and I think there's a there's a bit of that which is still really filtered down. Like uh, a lot of the people when I came I came in uh, like just after GH hit, and a lot of people who were here didn't really get a sense of how big Guitar Hero is. And I'm kind of feeling like just hearing from like what everyone else is saying. I kind of have a bit of that from Rock Band. Where it was a big title, but I didn't. I I don't think I, I still don't get how how big it it has become. Yeah, I've seen I've seen pictures of that that packs, and it's funny because I went to my first packs this year. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously with the Beatles, and we've already got RB one, RB two out, and yeah. we also showed Lego. So it was just this huge, like tons of different setups. And then looking back at the pictures of that first. Uh, rock band packs where it, like you said it's just literally like a little tiny stage and and a couple of people mm. and like the setup and just these huge lines is amazing it must have been really exhilarating at it, the time it was it was amazing and like I, it's it was also the one thing that kind of cemented how awesome packs is like not to go into like a packs love vest but it's like it's easily the best conference yeah. is going on. like everyone is super psyched to be there and everyone is totally understanding when problems come up and it's yeah, I it's it has a special place in my heart. Like any creative endeavor, you want people to at least see what you've done, and yeah. and maybe if you're lucky, appreciate it, and then to see it on such a huge scale, it must be it must have been such a such a, an exhilarating feeling. No, it was it was it was an exhilarating feeling, and I remember sort of coming out afterwards of like three days of just like being completely awake, and then going out and celebrating all night. It was kind of like this moment of holy crap, what are we gonna do after this? This is insane. Right, but. Uh, which yeah. brings me to my next question. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, after that huge success, um, you went right into making RB2. Um, was there a big lesson, if any, that you learned from RB1, either from the development process or after you released it that you learned, you know, once it was out in the world, here's something we should we should change? Or Oh, there's loads of stuff. Like, the, the, the thing that, I mean, it kind of seems kind of silly now, but as we were making Rob Band 1, we had no sense about how people would react to a lot of this stuff. So we had like we had no idea if people would actually buy a band bundle of this stuff or if people would actually want to play drums or uh, if people would buy downloadable content, if people liked people if people liked the band world tour, there was a huge debate like going on which actually kind of still goes on these days about, you know, is the was is the band world tour the kind of experience people want to play versus like the solo tour or things like that. And it wasn't until like that first month, like where we saw like what the community gravitated to uh, what uh, you know, how people you know bought DLC, how people structured their play sessions, you know, the rise of rock band nights, like all of these things. Like it wasn't until we got it out there and saw how people took rock band and turned it into like their rock band that we knew what we wanted to do for rock band two. And so rock band two, it was a short title. Like we we worked on it for like six or seven months. Yeah. Uh, but it was every it was taking it was basically looking at how the community was reacting to rock band and then molding rock band 2 into that direction so we're you know making it work with lots of content uh we were adding a bunch of usability fixes uh improving matchmaking a battle of the bands like all, all of these things that uh kind of fit where 
like kind of fit the sort of what people did with Rock Band and, and make it sort of more into the title that people wanted. As you said, in Rock Band 2, you were the lead designer, and um, I, I was hired here in QA during uh, the early stages of Rock Band 2. I'm, I'm, I, I'm sorry for any any violence <laughs> I may have uh, given you over bugs. Well, it was, it was actually kind of a great insight into part of the design process. We would have weekly meetings with you and the other designers on Rock Band 2, where anyone anyone in QA could give open feedback or suggestions for for implementation in Rock Band 2. And I know you had to sort of, not just QA, you know, senior management would have a sort of idea, which, hey, I really want that. And you have to figure out if you could do it. Should you do it? How do you tell Alex Agopoulos we're not going to do that? <laughs> um, and, Very gently. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the fan community, too, and playtest. So you, you, you kind of are taking in all this information from all these different sources. And isn't part of your job to filter, like, what the best ideas are out of that and and, and uh, put it into your own uh, design ideas? Or would you prefer that you just design sort of in a vacuum? Like you sit in a room, you're allowed to design whatever you want, you don't need to take outside uh, perspective. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you think it would be a vacuum, but I, <laughs> I really enjoy uh, sort of designing and like doing all of this stuff with other people. Like uh, being able to sort of have like really awesome lively discussions, get people of different viewpoints in and and sort of debate what would make the best thing for the game is really awesome. And like a lot of the, a lot of the fun I have like when we're developing a game is going through like our iteration phase and like starting off with like this huge rough sort of system and then crafting it down into like a really polished, really slick experience where everyone's sort of thrown in their two cents of like they've had their, they've had their imprint on the game somewhere. And like you can you can really, uh, I mean you can kind of tell like in in Rock Band two and especially in Rock Band as well like sort of how how much of our heart we put in this title because because we have all these like very sort of uh small touches everywhere of like very little things that, like it's some people don't even notice like uh i'm jumping of like a really good one like we have t-shirts uh in the game and like one of the t-shirts is just like a, a generic band logo but it's like the sync to auto build band which is <laughs> which is like uh, our right. own way of how we get builds or uh <clears throat> We have staff members, and some of the staff members are uh, are harmonics members. Like Leo yep. is a uh, is a is a tech artist here, or yep. our prefabs. Like we have a Grace Williams is a prefab, which is a people love that, which has spawned a cottage industry of extremely <laughs> creepy uh, yes. videos. But uh, <laughs> yes, but it, Jason it, Kendall is a what the tattoo artist. Yeah, in the, Kendall's in the game? a tattoo artist. Uh, <clears throat> we have people like contributing all like all of their stuff into the band name generator. Yep, like it's 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 a labor of love, and like it's it's pretty much the culmination of all of us like putting all that feedback, all the community bringing in their feedback and then channeling it into me and then me getting uh, grumpy at people half the time. <laughs> but it's uh, it's it ends up with a really great, really great game. I'm yeah. super proud of it. And, total, and, and from the other, other side, like when you're in one of those departments where you get to put in feedback and then you end up seeing it actually implemented, even if it's the smallest mm. thing, like stars should look like this, like something like that, it, it, it's really helpful for investing the whole team in the the project which so i think i think it's a really a really cool thing that you do um how much of that um after rb1 this huge uh fan community sprouted up um i can't remember the numbers as, as of between rb1 and rb2 because like now it's about four hundred thousand people or something on our forums yeah it's it's insane <clears throat> um did you did you listen to uh, what they were saying when working on RB two? Like oh, absolutely. Like yeah. a, a lo- it wasn't just from like workband.com as well, but also from like band nights that were cropping yep. up, or uh, just like people would meet like traveling and things like that. There's just so like 
the nice thing about making like a game that is like everyone gets into is like everyone has like great ideas for improving it uh like some of the stuff we can't do but like the genesis of those ideas we can translate and like turn into something that people will enjoy so like a lot of i mean a lot to like a majority of rock band 2's uh improvements and developments were from the uh were from the community and we yep. even like we patched rock band one based on the community we made you know fan yep. caps lore and things like that and i suppose part of part of the challenge too is um our game <clears throat> has a rabid hardcore fan base mm-hmm. Um, and you know, those are the ones, those are the guys and gals who buy all the DLC every week and, you know, they're, they're on the forums every day. But on the flip side, in terms of actual numbers are the casual gamers, you know, that maybe will never play above medium. Uh, and it's gotta be difficult to balance that when you're creating the game, you gotta make it so hardcore people will have a challenge and have fun on the challenging mode, but also make it accessible to, uh, casual players. Did you did you find any any particular um, snags in doing that? Uh, there's a couple of snags. I mean, a lot of the snags are usually are around uh, like people's muscle memory over things, and like if like you want to improve something, and so you'll break uh, you'll break how something works for like the greater good of the project, but everyone <laughs> will get up in arms because it you know people are used to doing it a certain way. I mean, a lot of the way we handle like that casual hardcore split is like we we try not to think of it like that and try and think of it as like a scale of like getting in as an entry point and then going up all the way to like super obsessive play 28 hours a day kind of thing. Um, And so a lot of our systems are designed to, to scale up like that and like have that very easy entry point. You know, like we take the gameplay as an example, it's like it's, is pattern matching colors, but then scaling up into using overdrive and scaling up into deploy paths and squeezing and like all of, all of these other like extreme hardcore things. I think it's more of those things like building up, uh, building up the things that people can do in the game, and not necessarily like this, making this the hardcore only area or the casual only area. Yeah, and and totally, mm. and I think that that that's worked really well. Um, just just over the course of like, if you're at a party at friend's house and they're playing Rock Band for a couple hours, just over the course of that couple hours, you can see people start on easy, they'll move up to medium, or start on medium, they'll try moving up to hard, and yeah, and it's really cool to see that it works, it totally works. Um, one of the more uh, fascinating aspects to me of the Rock Band franchise is the DLC, uh, the downloadable content. Um, when you were first designing Rock Band One, did you have any idea that? about two years later we'd have over a thousand songs in the catalog and we'd still be releasing you know five to ten tracks a week um it was i absolutely did not think we'd be releasing the huge volumes of content we were releasing now we're like we know we want to do something that you know gets people into rock band and gets them playing every week and uh a weekly sort of downloadable content schedule kind of fits that because you know people know that stuff comes out on tuesday and they always go to on tuesday to see what's going on and so it was more of like a thing to try and get the community built up and get people playing. Uh, and then it just exploded. Like we released the the first chunk of stuff with like Bowie and uh, Warpigs and things like yeah. that. And like people just went absolutely insane for it. And uh, I mean, it was nice for me because I'm, I don't like making titles just for shipping content. I like making like titles that have unique like design and like are innovative. And so be, being able to kind of uh, divorce like all of the content side and... Uh, being able to like give new content to players without having to ship a new title every you know, 45 days is is kind of cool and I, I think it's one of those things that if you told me two two years ago that we would have shipped over a thousand songs i i would tell you you're insane but we're <laughs> we're doing we're just shipping so much content now it's 
it's amazing. I'm super glad that we've managed to make this platform for, for content that people can go through and like choose the songs they want to play and build their set lists and kind of experience Rock Band their way, essentially. Yeah, and it's it's a pretty impressive feat for a game. Rock Band 2 came out over... T- oh, sorry, Rock Band 1 came out over two years ago. Rock Band 2 came out over a year ago. Um, and they're still relevant. The player numbers that we've seen are in- insane. I was, I was looking over them the other day. I was trying to look at like the like a sort of a, a low point of like uh, of player numbers just for like calculating things. And it came out with like five uh, five million unique people over with each with like 60, mi- 60 minutes per session. It's like this insane like uncomprehensible numbers of people like playing just playing online every day is insane. Yeah, mm. it's very very cool. Mm. Uh, and and speaking of that, it came a- to bring it full circle like you were saying in the design of RB One. You looked at these videos of the Who. And uh, rocking out, you know, early 70s or whatever. And then just yesterday, uh, two days ago, we did this release, simultaneous release of DLC of the Who's Super Bowl medley as they were playing it on the Super Bowl. That's sort of a huge step in full circle from, from where the basic ideas from RB1 came. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's, it's kind of like realizing that, uh, re- realizing that dream, I guess. And it's kind of getting back to like my point after PAX is like, holy crap, what are we going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> like it, it's, it's amazing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people who are listening to this, um, uh, might consider themselves aspiring game developers. Mm-hmm. What, if any advice do you have for them? I think the, the biggest thing that can help people get into the industry is just make games. Like doesn't necessarily have to be like fully fledged, like actual computer games, like even like pen and paper games, uh, like going through and like designing games like as you're walking around and like thinking up of rules uh like is a really key thing and like being able to demonstrate that you have the ability to to analyze what's going on and like assemble a rule set is 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 massive uh the other big thing is just show that you can finish something so uh like making a small mod or making a like a finished a finished product it doesn't have to be big it can be like super small like it's that's way more valuable than any kind of degree or anything like that. Just showing that uh, you you under, you kind of you you get what makes games good and what makes games bad, and that you can you can finish something and iterate through something is like valuable. Like I, if I had a if I had to choose between someone out of a game design college and someone that's finished with like a like a small project on the side, I'll always be the guys. We have an awesome, awesome week for you guys. I'll just read them, guys, and then we can discuss, okay? Okay. Okay. We have five tracks from Otis Redding. Woo! Yeah. Um, sitting on the showstopper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sitting on the dock of the bay. Fa, 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 fa. Sad song. Sounds like a sad song. It's it sad. is a sad song. I'm sick, y'all. That sounds sad, too. I've got dreams to remember and love, man. We've also got a song from All Time Low, Weightless, Alpha Beat, Fascination. The Brian Setzer did a re-record of Stray Cat Strut and mm. the Chemical Brothers' Let Forever Be. 
Nice. Pretty eclectic mix. Yeah. So where do we add it? Should we start with 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 Otis, the King of Soul? Yeah, the King of Soul. the dark of the Did you know that? Watching the tide roll away. Do you know that sitting on is parenthesized? Yeah. Could just be called the dock of the bay if you're lazy. Sitting on the dock of the bay. Probably one of the best whistling songs out there. Yeah. It's a very good one. Do you guys know any better whistling songs than that? I cannot think of one. Great whistler. You are a really good whistler. You make my whistling no, look you do like... It. Let's hear yours. I whistle like idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm for, sorry. For those of you who are listening, some of whom may be too young to get the reference, but one of our favorite shows here at, Eighth, at the HMX Community Pit is The State, and they have a great sketch about sitting on the dock of the bay. So... If, if you're young and get, get some DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> we also uh, looked up this Alphabet song. Neither of us, neither Alex or I knew it, but we looked it up and uh, it was really good. It, it, yes. Uh, every once in a while, you know, we, we get bands that come along that I've never heard of, uh, songs I've never heard of. And, you know, sometimes maybe there's a reason I haven't heard of that song before. But in this case, I was pleasantly surprised. And it's actually a really fun kind of like... Sort of that 80s hyper-upbeat pop thing that, uh, you know, bands like, like Wham uh, and Katrina and the Waves Wang kind, Chung. Of, kind of, kind of, kind of made, made their thing in the, the decade of, of Neon. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really well done. I think it's actually going to be fun to play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think All Time Low will, will, get, uh, will get a good reaction. It's, it, that seems to appear quite frequently on DLC Wishlist when really? I go through the spreadsheet. Oh. Yep. See, guys, so. we listen to you. Reduce the listening. I'm really excited about Stray Cats Strut. Yeah, you are. Uh, I love the Stray Cats, and like I said, it's a re-record, but it's Brian Setzer. So, I mean, he was the original Stray Cat. That's true. Um, and it's it's really fun to play. Real good guitar parts in there. And speaking of good parts to play, the Chemical Brothers let forever be. Like every instrument's really fun to to play. It's got a cool bass line, cool drum beat. Yeah, I think yeah, that's one that's gonna, yeah, that's one that's gonna be especially fun for the the rhythm section because the bass line is is really kind of kind of bizarre, and the the drum the drum beat is a loop, but it's a really tricky snare loop. So it's it's the kind of thing that you're gonna have some some trouble. I think one of the Gallagher's sings on that song. One of the not yes. not the Gallagher not the Gallagher. It's Gallagher too. <laughs> yeah, Gallagher. No, Gallagher's brother. The yeah. comedian. Yeah, right. Gallagher. No, too. Oasis Gallagher's. Oh, oh so yeah. watermelons. Yeah, watermelons. He smashes okay. watermelons. Uh, to the first three rows, splatter area. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna get sloppy. Yes, yeah. I've heard that. That's uh, that's the the name of this this podcast episode. <laughs> what? It's gonna First, get three splatter area. First three rows splatter area. First three rows splatter area. It's called so. splatter area. Um, I think that's a great name. <laughs> uh, another thing uh, that we on the team personally are excited about at Otis Redding tracks is um, Sean Baptiste. Uh, his favorite musician is Otis Redding. Um, I'm going to band with Sean, and the first song we tried to learn was Try a Little Tenderness, which is really hard if you're not a good musician. Yeah. <laughs> Are so. you guys good musicians? No, it's really hard. No. Yeah. Also, we don't have a horn line. No. We're yeah. also not the commitments or Otis Redding. Wow. So that's a problem. But yeah, uh, you guys sound awful. I'm dedicating these tracks to Sean. Oh. Also, they will be coming out slightly afterward, but really, these songs are here just in time for Valentine's Day. So mm-hmm. you can uh, cuddle up with your sweetheart. Barf. Play a little bit of... I'm sick, play, little, play, play some love songs. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You're yeah, some great no, love songs. Sad song. Just whistle out your lady. I, I, will, I will guarantee a swag pack, uh, a rock band swag pack, to anyone that actually sends us a photo of them playing rock band with their sweetheart 
on the dock of a bay. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll get behind that, and I'll they send you a personalized autographed picture of me. They don't, do it. they don't have power plugs on docks. Well, no, I mean, uh, I mean, use use it's your not creativity. It's a problem that can't be resolved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe like, you're on a boat. Maybe, yeah, maybe just show up, uh, like take a photo with you yeah. and your you and oh, your there best you go. gal okay. right. on a dock with a guitar. Do something with the dock. Send it to us. You'll get yeah. stuff. It doesn't even Photoshop. have to be. A, but it has to be the dock Photoshop. of a bay. No, a bay. no, it has be, to be a real dock. I'm not even going to be so specific that it has to be the dock of a bay. Like, no, I think it does. Could be a lake. No, no, pond. that's not that's not acceptable. Can't be a lake. Yeah, can't be a not pond. On can't the be just a straight lake. up like yeah. ocean. Like it has to be an actual bay. So, so people so. are actually going to have to send us like GPS coordinates. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hey, don't forget that we have a Skype mailbox. If you have wish lists or things you want us to talk about on the podcast, or you want to tell Alex Navarro that his Valentine's Day ideas are gross, you can get us on Skype. Hmx.mailbox. Hmx.mailbox. <laughs> Why is it gross? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. You could even just call up and show us how good you are at whistling. If, yeah, if you're a better whistler seriously. Than leave us anything folk. you want on the voicemail because only one dude has, and it was awesome. We want more of that. Uh, two dudes. Uh, Nick Chester as well. Nick oh, yeah, Chester yeah. doesn't count as a what? dude. What? Do, do Nick Russian Chester brides? Do yeah. Russian brides count? No, Russian brides <laughs> don't count either. We have like three Russian brides. <laughs> Nick Chester is the first day. person that counts as a dude. Nah. He's more of a duder. Oh, come on, guys. I'm not witty enough. My glasses oh. are giving me a headache. Oh, her glasses are huge, by the way. You can't see it. This is an audio. <laughs> we are all inside Allie's glasses right now. All right. Uh, thanks for joining us. Once again, this has been an edition of the Harmonics Podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode, including part two of our interview with Dan Teasdale, where he finally reveals the mystery of awesomeness detection. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Can't even be Dave Teasdale on Armistice. I heard Teasdale cheated. That's not true at all. Dan Teasdale is just an arm of steel. He does have tremendous upper body strength. Barrel chested. Yeah, it's from wrestling koalas. Yeah. <laughs> I hear they do that a lot. And he's made of Australia. <laughs> yep. Are there any bays in Australia? Nope. Completely <laughs> landlocked. <laughs> <laughs> as, as far as my understanding of Australia goes, it's completely landlocked. Oh, okay. That, uh, I you didn't do so good in geography, did you? <laughs>